Well, welcome back to Three Part Par. It's 2024, and this is episode number 23. First episode of the year. Very excited to kick off the year. Um, the PGA Tours sunning themselves in Hawaii, and I'm sitting in a very, very wet Melbourne house. Uh, as we like to do each week, I try to get someone on. It's going to talk a little bit about the world of golf, but also a little bit about possibly what's happening outside of that in the world. And this week, I've got a great guest that's going to link a little bit of tennis with a little bit of golf, and that's Lawrence Robertson. Welcome. Hi, Mike. How are you? I'm very well. Are you? Are you you're in Melbourne today as well, I'm guessing? I am looking out a window in a very, very wet Melbourne, so my colleagues who are trying to deliver qualifying for the Australian Open will be having um, a really tough day of it because the schedule, um, first round draws, you want to get through them because you get rid of half of your competitors and one foul swoop, they're going to have a tough rest of the week from today because they're not going to get much play today. So it's a tough one for them for sure. It's a good, it's a good uh, lead in to giving the people an understanding of you. So you work for Tennis Australia? That's right, I do. Yes, I work for the governing body of tennis, yeah. And so I know you've told me that last few weeks you've been working for the uh, working on or in and around the Canberra event. Um, yes. Give us a little bit of an understanding of what your day-to-day roughly looks like and, and kind of the pressures of this time of year with the big uh, major coming up. Yeah. Well, our, our Tennis Australia is fundamentally kind of split into two businesses. We, um, as, as many people will know, we, we run and host, in my mind, arguably the greatest tennis event in the world. Um, and that generates just over half a billion dollars of revenue. And then once we take out the costs of prize money and delivering two weeks of incredible tennis and the two weeks that lead in, we then obviously invest it back into the sport. And, and my role as director of Pathways is really overseeing all of our tournaments and competitions throughout the year. So if I use a golf analogy, my team would look after the national championships. Um, so we've just had a grass court junior nationals in Mildura, um, all the way through to our what we call our Australian Pro Tour event, so it would be equivalent of the Challenger. So the event in Canberra was a WTA ATP 125, so it's the level below the main tour. Um, and, and also my team oversee um, the rating system, which would be the equivalent of the golf handicap system. So any form of competitive tennis in, in Australia falls under my, I guess, jurisdiction or my team's jurisdiction, including officiating. So we are... Um, probably a little bit like golf. You can play competitive tennis in Australia almost every single day of the year if you want to. If you want to play club tennis on a Tuesday night, we capture that. And if you want to play a nationals, you know, three times a year that we do with our juniors, then we oversee that as well. So it's um, it's from the very start of a player's um, tennis journey to, you know, for them sort of emerging into the professional tour. I'm guessing through that role, and I know you've been in it for a little bit now, you would have seen some up-and-comers come through or you would have seen some hot tennis players as juniors come all the way through and playing on the major stage. Is that something that you kind of get a kick out of it? It's like it's enjoyable? Oh, absolutely. absolutely. I mean, um, I was fortunate enough. My, I think my, my first year as tournament director for the Sydney International was really Alex Diminor's breakout year. And Alex, being a Sydney boy, he made the final that year and um, we filled Pat Rafter and I'm sorry, Pat Rafter, Ken Rosewell Arena, um, which didn't have a roof in it at that point. And uh, it was a really, I just remember that night really clearly. It was a, one, of, one of those wonderful Sydney nights. It was just really warm. Place was packed, in a, packed yeah, absolutely packed. And Alex really sort of announced himself on the stage because he played a lot of his tennis in Spain up to that point. And then the following year he came back again and he, he, I remember him saying to me, he said, this is the one I want to win. And he, he won his first 
ATP title um, at Kenwell's Wall Arena in his hometown, and he was he was you know absolutely stoked with that. And you can see now he's just just broken into the top ten, and again achieved that on the court at Kenwell's Wall Arena. So he's um, he's one, but of course there's many many others. And you know, having just been in Canberra, we just had a young kid called Jacob Mensik who made the final there. Um, he was number three junior in the world. Everyone's touting him to be the next big thing. Six foot three, massive serve. No one's heard of him at this point, but believe me, he made the third round of the US Open last year. So you do see some of these kids. So we we get we get good sight of them well and truly before they make it onto the stage. And and you know, I'm not a tennis coach. I, I just happen to be administrator, but I work closely with our performance team. You you start to get a good feel for like this kid here from the Czech Republic or this kid here from the US has got has got all the right ingredients. We need to keep an eye on them. And we've got some really promising youngsters emerging in Australia at the moment. A couple of good females. Emerson Jones, 15. She played with, with us in Canberra last week. Taylor Preston's got a real chance as well. So we're we're in pretty decent shape from a, from an Australian perspective as well. It, you sort of, and my knowledge of tennis is extremely limited. I know you talked about probably the best event that's ever held on the calendar during the year. I get, I probably go every other year to the Australian Open and love it. Nothing better than heading out there on a nice balmy Melbourne night and, and watching yeah. a little bit of tennis and sitting around having a beer. For something, for something like the biggest events, and you're getting these guys coming through and they're, and they're playing great, great tennis. Is it something that they aspire to do? Obviously, the majors, but in golf, we have a thing where obviously everyone plays golf in Australia, but then they're itching to get overseas. Does that happen in tennis where the juniors are like, "Oh, this is really good, but I want to go and." make headway in Italy or the US or something different? Is it the same thing? Yeah, it, the parallels between the two sports are uncanny from grassroots right the way through to the top end of the sport. At the end of the day, um, you know, and, and if I look at our finalists in Canberra over the weekend, they were all European. And so the, 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 the reality is, is that we call it the tyranny of distance um, within Tennis Australia. We, we have a great legacy of producing world-class tennis players. But the reality is, is if they want to go and test themselves against the very best in the world, the majority of the tournaments and, and, and the best players are either in North America or in Central Europe. And if you think about it, Mike, um, you know, we run, we run a pro tour event in Perth each year, I say, um, and we, we run one in Cairns as well. And we ask the players to go from Perth to Darwin to Cairns. Um, they are, you know, pretty significant flights and, and they're playing for, $25,000 prize funds. If you go to Europe and you think that, you know, you can basically traverse across, you know, 18, 19, 20 different countries, all within the space of, you know, a couple of hours of very low cost lights, the economies of the sport would say that for an emerging professional, the best place for them to be based is in Central Europe. There's a lot of tournaments. There's a lot of depth. Everyone talks about a player's ability to develop the game on clay. We don't have a lot of clay courts here in Australia. So all of the ingredients and all of the all of the pointers would send a player, regardless how much we want to keep them here, we'll send them to, to Spain. And, and, you know, Alex Dimonor is a perfect example of that. Alex, a proud New South Welshman, grew up in Sydney, has, you know, is Australian through and through, green and gold. You can see that, loves playing for Australia. The bottom line is, is that he got to a point in his development where he had to go to Europe. He just had to go to Europe for him to become a now top 10 tennis player. Um, Alexi Popperin, the same. All of those players, and we, you know, we now have a college pathway as well, which Rinky Hijikata has followed. All of them 
have to take that difficult choice, which is I now need to, I need to, I need to move. Now we yeah. support them. We do everything we can to support them, but that is the reality of it. And it's exactly the same on the on the professional golf tour. You said the same about college, so it's the same. So obviously, I know enough about golf that you get the best players heading over to play college golf. It's the same. So they, there's college tennis tournaments as well that they go over there and play and move up through that that's that season. Absolutely, the NCAA um, have an incredibly strong you know tennis competition. If you're playing Division One tennis, and again, if you look at the world's top 100 at the moment, so Ben Shelton, who again will feature prominently in the next week or so in, in Melbourne, he played played college tennis. Even here in the in, in Australia, Rinky Hijikata did two years at um, uh, University of North Carolina. Astra Sharma came through the college system. You know they are playing a lot of a lot of a lot of tennis. They're playing a lot of competitive tennis. They've got great facilities, access to great coaching. Um, it's a really it's actually a really good area for players' development. And we are now we've actually now set up a uh, a post in in America, headed up by Chris Marnie. And Chris is going to be looking after a number of players. We actually had a young girl with us last week in Canberra, a girl called Maya Joint. No one will have heard of her. She was a wild card. She she beat Sarah Rani last week. Gee, she hits the ball big. I'd never seen her hit, hit before. And all of a sudden, she's come through the college system, and it's like this, this girl can play. And she will hopefully have a chance to announce herself on the stage next week in Melbourne. But the college pathway now is a very, very viable one where – Ten years ago, the performance coaching team would say, "No, nah, they've got to go and play the tours. They've got to go into Europe." You know, college now is a really viable pathway for um, for a, a, an aspiring tennis player. Yeah, I think it's um, it's same as golf. I mean, at the end of the day, that that if if you can go and play against the best, like you said, that's where you're going to improve. If you if you're not playing against yeah. the best, you're just not going to improve. And, and the top tier of tennis, like obviously in golf, again, I'm just talking to the parallels of my very, very, very lack of knowledge of tennis, but. Obviously, am I going to get to live golf and everything else? But forever and a day, people have gone, right, BJ Tour is the peak. That's where the best players play. European Tour is the second. Is is there something similar? Like when people are traveling, are they are they sort of really just trying to play in, in the major tournaments or the, the, you know, the Grand Slam events? Or is, it, is there other events that they're kind of – or seasons that they're sort of trying to play in? So the, the, the saying in professional tennis is we chase the sun. Um, and unlike – professional golf where you have obviously the dominant player which is the pga tour and then you have the dp world tour which i think you know putting aside north america would quite rightly claim to be a world tour i'm sure a lot of your listeners would like to have seen a lot more world-class golf down here in australia considering the quality of golf courses that you have down here um so you know the the atp tour and the wta tour interestingly are, are structured in such a way almost in the way that the pg2 have been trying to almost mimic it with what they call their they call them designated events right when yeah. all of the discussion was going on around what are, what are we going to do to combat live and the 32 guys sat in a room somewhere in delaware and all the the mules as your friends at milling up and call them yeah you know they were all on the outside they, they both men's and women's tour have been set up very similar so you have the what you have the grand slams so every player wants to play the Grand Slams, 132 draws. Then you have the Masters, 1,000s, and those are those are predominantly combined events. So again, for those who know their tennis, they'd recognize Miami, they'd recognize Indian Wells, they'd recognize Rome, they'd recognize Madrid, the Shanghai Masters. So all, all of those are the 1,000s. The top 10 players are completely must play those. Then you have the 500s, and then you have the 250s, and that's the main tour. 
And ultimately, your ranking will determine what level of tournament you get into. So if you're a top 50 player, you have to play the Masters. It's where the prize money is. It's where the ranking points are. And if you're coming through the top 200 or the top 100, it's then about selecting the 250s or the 500s. And you're always just trying to get into the highest ranked tournament so you can secure the most amount of points and the most amount of prize money. So it, it, it's sort of set up in a way that almost determines what a player's schedule is based on what their ranking is. So, you know, for the, the public, they know if they watch the Slams, if they watch the 10 Masters events, if they watch the United Cup this week, um, you know, there's certain times in the year when they know they're going to see the very best players come together. And I think that's the kind of, I think that's what the PG Tour have tried to do with the designated events. Um, but tennis has been battling the likes of live golf for some time. There are, uh, you know, there are exhibition matches out there that we know pay exorbitant appearance fees to players start of the season just before they came to Australia. The Middle East always hosts those. There's, there's, there's events that have always gone on where, you know, people have paid a lot of money to Roger and Rafa, for example, and it, you know, and it, it disrupts the schedule to some extent because they're always playing in a week that they should be playing a tour event somewhere or, they, or the week before a major tournament. So we've kind of been living with this for quite some time, but I think we are also sort of keeping a very close eye on what has happened in the last couple of years in the golf space because, you know, I think, I think, tennis is also very much open for disruption as well. Yeah, I mean, it's a very, very good link. It's a lot of questions that I have because you see it in a lot of sports. We've obviously seen it in football or soccer. We've seen a lot of money tipped into Formula One. Like They're not going to stop spending money. And I think I was talking to someone the other day. I mean, the live golf rationale is literally titled Project Wedge because they're trying to put a wedge in the game of golf. When it comes to tennis, like you said, there's money that's been put in sporadically is there ever been anything bigger than that i know you just went through a couple of little bits and pieces where they've had s significant events but nothing major major has it sort of been anything where they've tried to open up their own tour well like i i'm not old enough to talk about um you know, you, you'll hear people many people refer to the open era um, yeah. in tennis and so many many years ago and, and and people argue that the likes of ken rosewell you know should have won 10 more slams because he was stopped from playing in, in, in majors at the time and slams at the time because the likes of Wimbledon and Roland Garros were not accepting of professional tennis. Now that's mm. 50, 60 years ago, right? So, so kind of live golf was kind of happening in the professional tennis world many, many years ago. And of course it then formed the ATP, the Association of Tournament Professionals and the Women's Tennis Association, which celebrated its 50th year just last year. So, so that disruption kind of happened many, many years ago and, and really gave rise to the fact that we are now in a situation where we've got fundamentally seven governing bodies in the, in, in, in the sport. And I think everybody would say, well, if we're going to get some, um, some consistency, what we need to try and do is at least all work together because, you know, the slams have a, you know, the, you know ourselves, the French, the Americans, the, the Brits, we, we are trying to protect the legacy of our Grand Slam status. Um, you then have the, the tours who exist for, you know, 50, 48 weeks of the year and you have the International Tennis Federation. So we've not had to deal with the disruption to the extent that, um, that Live Golf has brought to the PGA Tour and the DP World Tour. Um, that being said, we also are aware and mindful that they are seeking a platform. Yeah. And... Whether you, you know, you can delve into the the whys and wheres and 
that you know what, what you know what the what are the moral elements of it. And I said, I think I said to you as we prepare for this, I was really interested to hear Rory's comments last week, where I think he's come to terms with the fact that you mentioned it. They've got a lot of money. Mm. They want to invest in our sports, whether it be golf or tennis or formal, whatever your whatever your particular taste is. And therefore, um, if we can reconcile ourselves with their desire to invest in the sport, I think um, I think Rory's comment is maybe there's room. We shouldn't welcome it because it's investing in our sport. And if we can help grow the game, and I and I would say this that some of the commentary when Live first came into the into the market, I was very uncomfortable with. Mm. You know, you, you write a check to. Yeah, you, you write a check to Dustin Johnson for $150 million and then ask him to say that he's all about growing the game. Now, if you're going to spend that amount of money, genuinely grow the game, invest yeah. in golf facilities in, you know, third world countries or, yeah. you know, invest in the next level down so that the players, you know, talk. let's talk about genuinely growing the game and not dressing it up as growing the game. Yeah. And I think that's where tennis sees it, is if we can work with the investment that's coming into our sport and ensure that it ensures that our product at the very top of the game is is protected and enhanced, and then it flows down to ensure that we are investing in player development, development all across the world. Then I'm kind of all for it. But but it, it, I think it needs to be done in the right way, and I think we need to be really careful about how we plot our way through the next twelve months. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I think it's um, I think listen to his to the full uh, interview this morning or the full podcast. And yeah, I think he's right. I mean, everyone was kind of taken put on the back foot, I guess, when the money first came in and everyone had their moral objections and everyone, there's a lot of people that still do. But I think we're all resigned to the fact now the money's going to be there. It's not going to go away. We need to find a way to make it work. But like you said, I think his quote was something like, instead of paying someone 300 million, put 50 million into grassroots or put, you know, put it into to growing the game properly. And that's going to be much more better for our, our game long-term than giving some professional golfer a stupid amount of money to play less against the best players in the world. That That's not going to be benefiting anybody. I, I, I couldn't agree more. And, and I actually, you know, I think, you know, we've, we've sort of tinkered around with, the format in tennis, you know, the ATP have their next gen finals, which is really the the best players in the world under the age of 21. They bring the best eight players under the age of 21 and they're been, they've been playing in Turin for the last couple of years. And that's a, that's a fast four format that we have. So it's a shortened format and there's a number of other rules, rule changes. And I don't know the specifics of it, but they've just been a little bit more flexible with the rules to just innovate. And, and, and people have really received it well. And then obviously, from our perspective, we felt there was room for a a, a mixed doubles teams event. People love watching yep. and the women come together. Obviously, you know, just at the weekend there, incredible, you know, Australian match against Germany. Couldn't quite get over the line. They finished at 2.20 in the morning. But, you know, Matty Ebden out there on on, on, on court with Storm uh, until 2 in the morning. It, it You know, people want to see a bit of something different through the course of the tennis season, right? And I think I, I think Rory's right. I, I'm I'd be I would be curious to see um, how the team element could work. And whether it's a, a bit like the BBL, whether you give them a six week slot in the calendar and go, right, okay, go for your lives. 
or there's six slots in the calendar, you go, okay, we're going to play, this is like the Formula One, we're going to break into our teams. You know, the one thing that I've thought about, and I'd be, and I'm surprised no one's actually, I, I would be really interested, like, like the F1s, rather than the, I don't know what they call them, Smash and Niblix. I mean, some of the ridiculous names have got it there. I can't. Yes. If it was actually the manufacturers, I'd be really interested oh, yeah. in that. Yeah. If it was, if it was Titleist up against TaylorMade, against Callaway, against PXG, yeah. I, I, there's something there that would say to me, I'm really curious about that because yeah. everyone knows that it's not the best driver, right? it's the best, it's the best car that wins Formula One. I know Max Verstappen would have an argument with that, but but that's yeah. that's my view of it. I'm surprised that the manufacturers haven't said, all right, we're in on this, but let's go head to head and we'll have four man teams, both men and women as well. And I do I think if Liv bring the LPG A to the table, and again, I think that's a format that people go, right, okay, this is something we could be interested in. Six or eight times a year. Just break it up, right? Yeah. But I'm like you, probably Mike. I'm a traditionalist. I love the 72 whole format. You know, the open championship, the wind blowing, the rain coming in like it is yeah. today. Let's see who the best players are. Like no, that, that for me, simply to Moses. But every now and again, I'm, I'm very keen to see something different. But make it mean something and give it some relevance, not just put a badge on, you know, yeah. Bruce Kupka and tell us that we're going to try and, you know, we're all going to get behind the Nibblicks or whatever. I'm, like, I'm sorry, I'm just, I'm not in for that. I think that's the deficiency for me as well. It's, don't, I've always said, don't, don't tell me it's great. It's either, I don't, you can't, Tell me it's great, and then I'm going to believe you it's great. I have to say that it's great, and I don't say it. And that, that's just me. But I think you're right. I think that from, from what I've been thinking for a long time is that it will end up being something where they plot a handful of weeks in the calendar. It might be ten weeks that, that they play um, a Ramco series. What they do in the in the, in the secondary female tour in the Euro, or the European tour, or whatever it is, yeah, um, something yeah. like that. A Ramco tour, men and women playing together, um, teams events. Finals going to be in Saudi Arabia. Everyone's happy. Tick PJ Tour stays as is. Yeah. Um, put some more money into DP World yeah, Tour and we'll move on. Hundred percent. Cool sanction. Both tours are involved, and you know they can, um, you know they can, you know they can play for ranking point. You know, give them everything they need in order to completely legitimise it and and find you know there are spots now. A bit like the tennis tour, you know, there's two fifties who are in the same weeks as five hundreds, and the two fifties are always complaining that all the players are at the five hundreds. Like, hey, guess what? They're just that's just a better group, right? And again, I made reference to it. Is is you, you've got thirty players that people will turn up to watch. Yeah. And you know, we had that perfect example this week. You know, in the last the last two weeks for us, even at Canberra, for example. So in Brisbane, Rafa turns out, the public turn out. In in Sydney, Alex Dimitrov makes the semi-finals. People want to see Alex. Ken Ken Rosewell sold out. In Canberra, we managed to secure David Goffin, who came. Everyone knows David's name. You know, suddenly the stands are packed in camera, albeit it's a very, you know, modest thousand seats, but people want to see the best players. Yeah. Now, if you're ranked 120 in the world in the PGA Tour, unfortunately, the reality is, is like, you, you're not going to get the platform, the prize money that someone who's ranked 10 in the world is going to get. You've just got to play better. But they, 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 we still need the ecosystem to look after them because they still need to make up the fields for slams and majors and whatever else. So the, we need to ensure there's a place for everybody. And that is where that level of investment, if it can cascade down. And so the Challenger Tour or the web.com, what kind of is it? Web.com, it's Confair. Yeah. Tour. If we can raise the level and prize money of all of those development tours, I'm all for it. But yeah. we've got to realize that, that the public, broadcasters, partners, public, they want to see the best players play against the best players week in, week out. Absolutely. And I think that, 
what we're seeing now, especially definitely for me, is that I'm just losing interest. Like I, the, like when John Rahm left, people were like, oh, you disappointed me. I'm like, I just don't care anymore. Like I'm disappointed I'm not going to see him playing this week at Kapalua. But I'm just so used to it now. I'm just less interested in the game itself. And that can't be good for anybody. I'm not going to watch more live. I don't watch live. It doesn't, doesn't interest me. Yeah. So if I've got big events that are being played in the States or in Europe that aren't having the best players in the world, well, can't be as exciting as when they're all playing together, surely. Yeah. And and and, and the one last thing I'd say, and I don't know whether you it sounds like you didn't go to Adelaide. I was I curious. Know. I was curious to see Adelaide and I watched a couple of days and I and again I just thought I can't I can't get into this. I'm not sure what it means. And then of course they were making this big thing about the party hall. And I was like, well hold on a second. Phoenix have been doing this. Yeah. You know, they talk about innovation and we're you know changing the game and it's golf but louder and all this sort of stuff. Like look like, We've been doing this. We've just not—it's just not become the staple in you know in the in the everyday. And that's and that is you know fair play to Phoenix, whoever the promoters are for Phoenix as a as a tennis tournament. We have to compete with everybody else's dollars for their you know for their leisure time, and so you have to continually innovate and think about what we're going to do differently. And I think the Craig and the team at the Australian Open. That is the perfect example of innovation whilst respecting the tradition of the sport. If you yeah. see where the Australian Open was 25 years ago, Kuyong to what it is now, and you've just said, you know, there are people who love nothing more than coming down to uh, Melbourne Park on a balmy summer's evening. They've got no interest in being in Rod Labour Arena. No. They're going to sit at the Canadian Club bar. Yep. Or they're, they're going to they're, they're drink, uh, I think it's Asahi who's our partners this year. They're going to come down and have a great, or they'll or have an Aperol spritz. They're going to come down and have a great day because we realised that we needed to provide an experience for fans, regardless of whether they were absolute tennis tragics, as we call them, or just fans who just want to be part of an experience. And so golf has to try a little bit harder, I think, um, both on site. And again, I know I'm echoing some of the, the NLU boys here, but the broadcast product needs to significantly improve as well. I couldn't agree more. I think uh, the one thing that I took out of last year's trip to the Australian Open was I was sure, I hadn't been in a couple of years, obviously with COVID, and I I was I've I've always known that I can go there, go to the outside courts, wander around to little areas where I can sit down, have a drink, like you said, an apérol or a beer or whatever it is. But when we walked in, the first I had some customers with me, clients and. We walked in and we we're just looking for somewhere to eat. I didn't really want to take him to something like just takeaway. And I looked across the courtyard and saw the Super Normal, very famous restaurant here in Melbourne, yeah. logo. We ended yeah. up going over there and having an amazing sit-down Super Normal dinner, wandered around, grabbed a couple of beers, wandered into the stadium. I was like, this is perfect. This is this is, this is is where it should be. And I think Australian Open Golf tried to do it, might have been last year. I think Curtis Stone might have had a pop-up for more doing some bit fancier food. Just the one thing you had to be in a certain grandstand to get there. It wasn't for everybody. I think I think that they need to develop a bit more of that side because, like you said, the party hole gets done in in Phoenix. They tried to do the party hole. I reckon it was the Aussie Open or the Aussie Masters in about 2012. We tried to do it here, it didn't work quite well. I remember Robert Allenby losing his mind. Queensland does it quite well. You know the PGA. I was up there the Aussie PGA in November. They do it quite well, yeah. and, and it's good. But it's the same. It's nothing different. Like you said, it's not not inventive. It's not different. The live the the live party hole. People obviously went mad and loved it. And, and the ace boy uh, Chase Kepka clearly went around the world. But yeah. yeah, I don't know that there's anything there that's driving something completely different. Yeah, and and 
Like you're right. I mean, we've had to think really long and hard about the off-court experience, and and for us, you know, for for the last ten years, it's been about family, food, and music. is is really our three. We think, well, how do we cater for the families who are coming down? What's our food and drink offering to ensure that those who want to just come down and enjoy and be part of it, like you, Mike? Um, and then there's those sort of you know those fringe element, like how might we bring them down, particularly in the second week, because. Um, a little bit like the cut in golf. As we get into the second week, obviously, we're starting to, there's not so much content on the outside court. So you've got to then start to think about what else is going to drive people down. And so we, we you know, we've introduced, um, we've introduced the music that, and we've brought that back this year. But we also have another, you know, lots of other great tennis going on on the outside court. The juniors is going on, the wheelchair is going on. We run Glam Slam in partnership with Ralph Lauren. And, um, you know, that's a great event for our LBG. GDQI community. Um, we have a deaf, hard of hearing, blind, low vision. So we do everything we can to ensure there's a lot of content on the outside course. And so, yeah, I think that, yeah, next week you'll be able to come down, ground pass for the Australian Open. Second week is $19. I mean, you'll yep. have a great day for $19. Bargain. Absolutely. Um, but, um, but, you know, unlike golf, we've got two weeks. And so the economies of scale of putting infrastructure in and then monetizing that over two weeks, and now actually three weeks because we've got four exhibition matches this week for charity. So we're trying to stretch the Australian Open as much as we can. At the end of the day, what can you do on the Monday and think really long and hard about what you're going to do? And I, and I was in Singapore at the time where, take that, we're at the end of the HSBC event. Again, my wife was there, my friend's wife, but we came down. They were never, ever going to go to a golf event, but they were happy to pay their $50 that day because they were going to get to see Gary Barlow. So, you know, if that's what brings them in, so be it. That's it. Now, we've talked a lot about tennis, and we're going to ask a little bit about golf. Now, I'm guessing from your accent, you like golf in general. <laughs> or you like playing golf or attempting to play golf. Would I be correct? There's, yeah, like in, if you, you know, growing up in Scotland, there's really – there's really only, there's more, but really, there's only really two real sports in Scotland that have got, in the in the winter, it's football mm -hmm. or soccer, whichever derivation you prefer, but for us, it's football. And then in the, in the summer months, we don't play cricket in Scotland. We do, but we're not very good at it. Um, what about um, Bobby Mack? What, what's the sport he plays? Uh, he plays shinty. Shinty, that's shinty, it. Shinty, yeah, which is, which is predominantly, a, it's also a winter sport. So it's a bit like hurling and yeah. So uh, in in Ireland, um, but that's not played by a lot of people. It's mostly played in the Highlands, and it's quite a niche sport. Um, and, and it's it's pretty brutal as well if you've ever seen a hurling match. So yeah, I grew up I grew up um, in a little town um, just outside of Edinburgh, and um, it's the ninth oldest golf club in the world, Burnt Island Golf House Club. And yeah, I just I grew up loving the game. I. Yeah, I got I got into it at a pretty young age. My dad gave me a little cut down Wilson Samsonite club, and away I went, and that was it. And I've I've played ever since. And I and I yeah I um yeah I just I just I love the game. I particularly love playing it. I, it's um I get I, I just I just enjoy it enormously. And when it comes to playing here, do you get to play much? Or obviously you'd be traveling a lot for work, or do you get to take your golf clubs when you go and travel for events and bits and pieces? I no, I generally don't take the clubs. I think everyone knows my passion for golf, but at the same time, I'm you know I'm, uh, pretty committed to my work as well. And I yeah. you know I played I, I played a club tennis growing up. I was more of a fan. I love watching. I grew up watching the likes of Agassi and um, Becker and the likes. But um, yeah, no, I, the clubs don't travel with me too much. But when I'm home, 
Um, I um, I try and get out. Particularly, I, what I particularly enjoy, Mike. I don't know you, but I, I I'm a twilight golfer. I love nothing more than six o'clock in the evening, the last couple of hours of light, just on my own, just hitting a couple of balls, just you know, keeping myself to myself, working through what's going on in my mind, on you know, with what's happening at work or anything else. That it's that's my happy place at times. Um, yeah. but at the same time, I love a social four ball for ten bucks as much as anybody. So yeah, yeah, but I, I get a chance to play. I'm um, I'm on the list at Victoria, and uh, and then so I'll jump over at Sandy from time to time as well. Yep, now played Sandy last week. Um, yeah, I'm not I'm not hitting my irons well enough to play well at Sandy at the moment, but it wasn't too bad. My my forte at the moment is a driver, and it's not really that useful at Sandringham for anyone that plays. I think it's six par threes, five or six par threes. So yeah. you need to be hitting those irons well. Yes, you've, you've yes. just literally perfectly led into the next part. So this is what we call lucky seven. So I've got seven questions for you. All right. I asked, I asked Bobby Mack these questions the other, um, the other week in in Brisbane. Um, seven questions to understand your golf game and 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 your love for golf. So first right. question is favorite course you've ever played. Ooh, jeez. Bobby Mack said Augusta. So have you played Augusta? Am I allowed to split them into? No, I haven't played. But I, am I allowed to split them into links and inland? Can I do it? Yes. Can yes. I, can I do it? Yeah. Um, so I I have played the old course, and whilst there's a, a number of people out there that are not a fan of it, and I've also played some other great links courses, including the likes of Royal Portrush and Muirfield, and so on and so forth. Royal Dorna, I played a number of them. There is something about St Andrews. It's just as you come down the stretch, heading into the town, and you realise that you, you you're walking in the steps of it's just it's just special. It's really special. Yeah. Um, and then if I could have another, I, I was, one of my first ever jobs was at Glen Eagles and I, as a staff member at Glen Eagles, we paid 30 pounds for an annual golf membership. And so I had access to the Kings, the Queens, and at the time was known as Monarchs, but it's now the PGA course, which was the Ryder Cup course. Again, you know, because the light would stay with us until 11 o'clock in a summer's night in, in Scotland, I could go out and play 18 holes on the Kings course and no one around except for the odd deer. I just love the Kings course. It's just so special. So um, if anybody has the chance, go play Go play the Kings course at Glen Eagles. Something in my brain tells me, I could be very wrong, but I've got a funny feeling. Matt from down at Lake Wickham told me he worked. I might have been there, and I reckon that might have been the course where that was his favourite course, but I've, I've got to go back and listen to that episode. Who's that? Sorry? Who's that? So Matt, who's the head of golf. Matt, no, Matt, who's the head of golf operations at Kate Wickham. Down in uh, King Island, so he he worked over there, and I'm pretty sure he worked at the course, and that, I reckon that was his favourite course. But I'll, I'll go back and listen. I could could be mixing up my courses, um, but that sounds like thirty dollars well spent, definitely. <laughs> What's the uh, number one on the must playlist? Abandon. Yeah, yeah. I've got. I, I, it's on the it's on the bucket list, and I, and I, I couldn't care which one of it, six or seven it is. They've got over there at the moment, but um, interestingly. Talking about Glen Eagles, the, the designer, David McClay Kidd, who designed the first band in June's course, was actually yeah. a was, was a greenkeeper whilst I was at Glen Eagles. Okay. He was in the golf ops team. Yeah. So it's interesting, isn't it, how people's sort of careers disappear in different directions. But um, but yeah, no abandoned for sure is on the list. I think it's uh it's on my list as well. Um it's probably just shuffled down because I think the last person I spoke to 
was Chris from over in uh, who lives in Scottsdale. He, I think he was telling me it was like a two year wait at the moment for bookings or three years to just get, mm. get on. So yeah. it's going to take a little while. Yeah. Um, the Masters or the Open? You can only have one. Which one is it? Well, I, I, I've been. I, there was a spell where I think from 1980, Tom Watson winning in Muirfield through to probably through till about mid 19, maybe early 2000s. I went to every Open in Scotland, so I've done the Open many, many times, and I still love it. Yep. I was I was in St Andrews when Cam Smith won um, last year, um, a couple of years ago now. So for me, it has to be the Masters. I'm, it's still it's very much on the um, on the bucket list as well. Uh, so yeah, it's the Masters for me. Okay, that de- definitely was not what I thought you were going to say, but that's okay. It's it's not a bad. Uh, it's uh, the accent made me think you were going to go the other way, but no, that's no, well, as I say, I've seen. I think I've I think I've been to every open venue, but actually, I've been to Ross and Jordy, so I've now I've been to every open venue for an open. Yeah. Um. So yeah, I um, I'd love to I'd love to get get to the Masters. Get to the Masters. Yeah, that's fair enough. Yeah. Um. Now, what's your better? What's the feeling you prefer? A striping a drive or flushing an iron? Flushing an iron every single day of the yeah. And um, is there a specific iron you think of when you're flushing? Uh, I guess if I mean, I would always. I think I'm always comfortable with a seven or eight in my hand. Um, usually the one I feel most comfortable with. Um, but you know, if you flush a five iron, you know, into the heart of the green, you, you know you've you know you've done something relatively special. So I would say. A, you know, a, a nice high five iron with a touch of draw into a sort of back left pin would be would be yep. sort of yeah, sort of manner from heaven, I'd say. I thought, and myself and many people listening don't know what that feeling's like, but yeah, I, 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 it sounds it sounds good, no matter yeah. what. Um, with the putter, is the pin in or the pin out? Oh, it's always out. Always out. Oh, apart from obviously, if you're fifty feet away, which I am a lot, but um, yeah. Yes. Um, yeah, it's uh, no, it's I'm not an Adam. I can't. I tried it obviously during COVID and didn't like it. I had too many occasions where I'm quite aggressive. Yep. And so even with those three or four footers, a couple of them bounced out and I thought, well, hold on a second, that's not fair. So so no, always out for me. Yeah, I'm the same. And many people it's funny how many people have on and everyone's mm. the same. But most everybody's mm. like, no, it has to be out. Yeah. Now now you've answered this next question, but we'll just ask it anyway. So are you a dew sweeper or a half set and sunset? So you're you're an afternoon golfer or a twilight golfer, we'll call it. Yeah, I am. I am. Although when I can muster myself to get up, and again, uh, particularly links golf, I don't know why. It, I, well, actually, I do know why. Is because if you can get up early and play links golf in Scotland, uh, many people will know that the wind is all connected to the the tide, right? And yeah. so the minute the land gets warm and the water is invariably cold, that's when the wind gets up. But if you can get out first thing in the morning, um, uh, it's it's pretty special again. The light just dappling across it, but on the whole, no, I'm definitely a I'm definitely a, a twilight player for sure. Yeah, I'm definitely twilight as well. Um, and the last question, question number seven, is: Do you have or what is your favourite golf memento or keepsake? It can be something that you keep in your golf bag. Could be something that you keep on the shelf at home. Could be anything. I've got my first bag tag from when I played Kings Barnes. Yep. Was, again, that was another one where you think about what's your favorite course. I've still got that. Uh, <laughs> all the crappy little trophies I won when I was a junior, my wife told me to get rid of them. There was probably <laughs> a couple in there that I was quite, I was quite proud of. Um, so yeah, no, I'd, it's interesting. I'm not, 
Actually, for a long time, and I think when we moved house once, my wife did tell me to go. I used to keep all the yardage books. Remember the old yardage books? Yes. I used to keep uh, every yardage book. I go to every course I played. I keep the yardage books for some reason. Yeah. Um, and then eventually, we were moving house once, and I think my wife just said, "What the hell are these?" And I was like, "Well, <laughs> you just don't understand." And she said, "Well, they're going out." <laughs> so, so they went. Um, but yeah, I'd say my my and, and that. Again, if anybody gets the chance to go to King's Barns, you turn up on the first tee, they've got this lovely tartan tea bag they hand you. You've got a bag tag, you've got 20 tees, a ball pitch repairer, a marker, and the marker, you know, say to you, away you go, enjoy yourselves. And it's, they just, again, they just do it. They do it so well at King's Barns. It's, uh, again, a place I'd encourage people to go play. It's, uh, well, don't tell your wife, or who, oh, I know, Sarah, um, but I'll keep all my, um, yardage guide so even though they're oh, all in meters um <laughs> yes i've got a stacks and stacks of them uh and my friends find it weird because i have a photographic me- memory for pretty much every golf course i've ever played and i can wow. remember shots my friends have hit and they just laugh i'll be like i oh, remember when you hit that and they're like no nah. so can i know. ask what what is your what's your favorite course oh good question favorite course i've played uh, I don't really have one to be honest. There's so many right now. I, I love being able. I love getting a, an the odd invite to go down and play Royal Melbourne West. I've never played the composite. I'd love to play the composite one day. Um, and I've been lucky enough to go down to to um to Barnbugle and and King Island about half a dozen times each. Um, yeah. nothing better than than I think playing either Bar- either Barnbugle course or Cape Wickham and, and Ocean Juice is great as well. So don't really have a specific favourite one. I think for me it's probably a little bit more about what you talked about before like i've got no issues in just going down to my local terrible nine hole golf course at twilight with a speaker hanging off my bag with a half set of golf clubs and just hitting two or three golf balls and just being outside um more than it is about this is yeah. i have to play here all yeah. the time if i if i had to say which course do i want to play all the time or do i end up going to all the time it's probably the dunes down down in uh, mornington peninsula so that's the lucky seven. So I'm just going to quickly run through this week in golf. Uh, so it's a century this week. The event is, isn't finished yet. We are pre-recording this because I am flying to Perth and Lawrence has got a reasonably busy week preparing for a, a reasonably big tennis tournament. So we are preparing this earlier. Uh, right now, they are only a handful of holes to go. Chris Kirk, Jordan Spieth, Sahith Fagala and Ben Ann are all kind of fighting it out towards the top of the leaderboard, but we don't have a winner yet. Um, the pick that we had in the email this week, the main pick was Colin Morikawa. He had a bit of a flat third round with a 70, sitting in T6, but he's not going to quite get there for us this week. The week upcoming is the Sony Open. It is at Wailai Country Club, where it is every year in Honolulu. Uh, it's a it's probably the one that I always think back to and think about Michelle Wee playing there a million years ago, uh, and the palm trees they make look like a W that everyone ends up seeing on the broadcast about 5,000 times over the next week. Uh, last year, Siwoo Kim came from the clouds. He shot a, a really, really good 64 in the final round to beat Hayden Buckley. Um, they are going to probably be shooting that 18 to sort of low 20 under at most. The weather doesn't look amazing, so I'm probably thinking they'll be closer to 18. It's not going to be the, the nearly 30s that they got to this week at the past 73 at Kapalua. But uh, it will be hopefully a good week to watch some golf. It is the first week we get to see some of the graduates come through. So you've got all the DP World Tour guys that got their cards, like Bobby Mack, um, coming through to play, and then all the Corn Ferry grads who have been absolutely grinding it out for the last sort of 12 months at least to try and get their cards on the PGA Tour. 
Um, as we do every single time we have someone on, we play Mike versus the mug. So Lawrence, don't take offense to being called the mug. I'm supposed to be good at picking picking winners in the golf and you're not. So I've given you the pre-list. Um, so you need to pick three players and you get to pick all three first up. You can pick at the board. Uh, if you pick a winner and you, oh, sorry, if you have any of your three players that beat my three, any one of yours, I'll give $50 to whatever charity you like. So the first question I have is, do you have a charity specific that you'd like to me to give money to for when you beat me? Um, uh, it would be Fight MND, Mike. Done. That's easy. Uh, last year, I want to say, I want to say thirty or forty percent of the time I lost. So um, I was okay. okay with that. I put I put I put away a lot of money, assuming that I'm going to lose every week. So we'll just see how it goes. So now you get three players pick of the board. Who would you like? Well, I'm going to go. Not surprisingly, I'm going to go with a very strong European flavor here. So, yes. um, interestingly, I didn't realize that you'd been chatting to Bobby Mack, but he is, he is one of my three. So, I'm going to go yep. Bobby Mack's first, uh, I, think, I think it might be his first venture down to Hawaii. So, it'll be interesting to see how the boy from Auburn goes, goes down there. I'm pretty sure he won't be on a surfboard, but he'll, uh, <laughs> I think he'll go well around, uh, around there. So, Bobby Mack is going to be one of my choices. Um, uh, the other one is the fiery Englishman Tyrrell Hatton. Um, I'm sure he'll he'll uh, he'll entertain the locals with his uh, his choice uh, choice language down there. I'm sure. Um, yes. So, uh, but uh, he's always entertaining. I don't know. He can go when his games on. He can go super low. Um, and then, really, the standout for me, and maybe I maybe I've got. I'm glad I got in ahead of you. Is um, I do think this is going to be a breakout year for, um, and again, I know there's a different, hundred different ways you can pronounce it, but Ludwig, Eberg, Auberg, whichever way you want to pronounce um, Ludwig's name, but um, yeah, look, he absolutely announced himself on the on the on the golfing scene last year. Um, clearly, a real flusher, um, and yeah, confidence is up. Great Ryder Cup, great end of last year. So I'd be really interested to see how he comes out the trap. So, um, so there's my there's my three picks for you. Yeah, you very good three picks to start with. You can have Tyrrell Hatton every week. So anyone that listens to the show knows Tyrrell's on my bad bad books list. So I won't be picking him every game. But um, <laughs> Ludwig was definitely would be my number one pick uh, last week or this week. Just finishing up at Kapalua. So it's a tournament where very much so you need to apply there before to play well most of the time averages say this event not so much but the one rule i have at sony is you have to have played at kapalua to play well here so i think eight of the last 10 winners have played at kapalua the week before they've shaken the rust off um and on top of that the only other two guys that have that have um won in the last 10 years cam smith had been playing in australia and then went straight into sony so he hadn't been playing that long before i think the other one was like maybe sung jaim so Someone who's played this week is good, and I think I think Aberg stacks up really, really well. So he's he's certainly going to be my picks. Um, for my guys, I'm going to go. I don't. We don't have any odds because it, it hasn't a book hasn't opened up yet. But I'm going to go with Lucas Glover. Uh, Lucas Glover is going to be my first pick. Finished fifth here a couple of years ago. Twelfth at the Hero. Obviously playing okay at the Century. Second pick is going to be uh, the Canadian Corey Connors. Another guy who had a pretty good year last year, but just can't play poorly at the Sony. So I think his last four starts here are 12th, 11th, 12th, and 3rd, um, going back the last four or five years. So that's some good golf. And again, played well at the Hero and playing okay at the Century. Um, 
Oh, sorry. Yep, that's correct. And then the last one I'm going to pick is going to be someone a little bit out, out of the box. So tossing up between JT Poston and Akshay Bhatia. Uh, Akshay had a really, really good week this week until the final round with his putter. Um, he's putting quite poorly today and not playing very well. But that new longer sort of broomstick-looking putter and the new action certainly helping him. Uh, it's gone out the window today. But I'm going to lean with the other guy. I'm going to go with JT Poston uh, and his very humorous caddy, uh, Aaron Fleener. Uh, I'm going to go for those guys. Have a good week this week at Sony. That is three on three. So you've got Bobby Mack, Tyrrell Hatton, and Ludwig Oberg, Aberg, however you want to pronounce it. And I've got Lucas Glover, Corey Connors, and JT Poston. That's a that's a reasonable mixed half dozen. Did um, were you considering Brian Harmon at any point? No, um, I, I run data every week. So people that don't know, I. Um, I have a database where I run a, a truckload of data through and try and figure out who's going to win based on the stats that I see relevant for this course. Uh, Brian Harmon did not rank up towards the top, I don't think. Where did he rank? He ranked number 26. Not too bad. Probably halfway between JT Poston and Akshay Bhatia. Um, um, the biggest thing for Harmon for me, even though he has been playing good golf, is his, his form here hasn't been great. So his last four starts, 32nd, 48, 56, 32. So he was playing well maybe eight years ago here at the course, but I kind of like, I like seeing someone that rates highly in the stats that I want to see. Obviously has reasonable that's form coming in, it, but played well yeah. here. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's, that, that's where I kind of end up leaning when I'm going to make an investment. Uh, the other event on this week is the Dubai Invitational. Um, it's a pro-am event in Dubai. I think there's only 50 or 60 players there. Rory is playing. Tommy Fleetwood is playing. They're going to be the two that most people are going to want to watch. Um, I won't, I'll probably put some picks in the email that I send out on a Wednesday or Thursday this week on who I think might win. I, I think I'll be leaning to Tommy over Rory just purely on his price, but that w- will be on the email. If you do want the email, it's threeputtpodcast at gmail.com. Uh, and there's an, another small event over on the Aussie Tour so that, uh, here at the Heritage in uh, the Yarra Valley. So Her- Heritage Classic is on this week, and I'll try and have a quick look at that one as well. Lawrence, thank you very much for your time. Greatly, greatly appreciated. It's great, Mike. Thank you. I really, uh, really enjoyed the conversation. And <clears throat> as I said, I hope uh, you and your listeners do get a chance to come down and watch the world-class tennis that's going to be on in Melbourne over the next, um, well, in really three weeks, where as I say we've got a number of exhibition matches lined up for this week at Rod Labour Arena. And then, as I say, ground passes <clears throat> start from $49 Um when the when the, the main event gets going on the uh, we start on a Sunday this year for the first time so we start on Sunday the fourteenth of January so uh, I'm sure a number of your listeners will get down and enjoy um, enjoy a great summer of tennis in Melbourne. Yeah, I can't recommend it enough. If you are in Melbourne, um, we the, the tennis normally brings in the hot weather, so hopefully we get some nice balmy nights and yeah, people can get down there and enjoy the evening. Absolutely. Thanks again, mate. Really, really appreciate your time. Lovely. Thanks, Mike. All the best. <laughs>